Hi, I'm Liz Winstead. I'm Mojiella Wodeal. And we're the hosts of Feminist Buzzkills, the only weekly podcast that helps you navigate the post-row hellscape. We dissect all the news from that sketchy intersection of abortion and misogyny with our guests, the abortion providers and activists working on the ground. Plus, we have amazing comedians to help us laugh through the rage. Feminist Buzzkills drops Fridays wherever you get your pod fix. Listen and subscribe, because when BS is popping, we pop off. M-S-W Media. So, Renato, is this the last we are going to hear of Tucker Carlson? <sighs> it's complicated. I'm Renato Mariotti. I'm a former federal prosecutor, a practicing lawyer, and a legal analyst. And I'm Asha Rangappa. I teach national security law at Yale University. I'm a former FBI special agent, and I'm a legal and national security analyst. And we're here to help you understand topics that can't be boiled down to a soundbite or a tweet. So, Asha, I found this shocking, the news that Tucker Carlson was fired from Fox, right? Did you see that coming at all? I like I saw a breaking news tweet um, in my feed and I had to double check who it was because I was like, is this a reputable person? And it was, it was like a reporter, but then I was like, okay, I need, I need more confirmation. And then it was just, uh, you know, my Twitter feed exploded with it. So yeah, crazy. Was crazy. Right. I mean, what's interesting about it, like, look, Don Lemon was fired in the same day, but it was different, right? Because Don's ratings were lower. You could see that coming potentially because CNN is that, you know, they're having ratings issues. With Fox, Tucker was like a big moneymaker for them. He was their number mm. one show, number one in the ratings. And they care about that stuff. That's what cable news is all about. They, they sit there and look at those ratings on a regular basis. Um, it had to take a lot for them to decide that losing that income stream and potentially paying Tucker Carlson out on the new contract extension he signed in 2021, like pay that full contract to not be on the air uh, was worth it. Yeah, this is coming on the heels a week later, after Fox News agrees to pay seven hundred and eighty-seven million point five million dollars to Dominion, so that's also a hit to their bottom line. Um, and I think you had some thoughts about that. By the way, we should maybe do a little recap because there were mixed. Initially, I think the immediate mixed feelings about that settlement that somehow Dominion had sold out, et cetera, et cetera. But I think you gave a reality check on both the interests of the company, which is not to vindicate the interests of democracy, but to, like, you know, recover their reputational harm. And also that for them, this was a, I mean, this was an amazing settlement and compared to going to trial was probably, was the right thing for them to do. Yeah, this was the time I, I did a bunch of tweets that I knew were not no one was going to like, and they were not going to do very well. Uh, you know, it's much easier to tweet out like democracy, you know, Dominion wins, democracy loses, or something along those lines. I, I think, you know, the reality is this was a lawsuit for money. Dominion is suing Fox for like a whole lot of money. And so they're not like suing for democracy or they're suing to like change the world. They're suing. It's a, it's a civil lawsuit for money. So ultimately at the end of the day, it's all about money. And, you know, they're suing for 1.6 billion, 
which candidly I think was a stretch uh, number. That was like their highest possible. Yeah, and that's ask. like they just pull that out of the name. I mean, in other words, th- that's their valuation of what their harm right. is. It's not like some objective calculation. Like in other words, there was no guarantee that if they want, if they had gone to trial and they won, that they would somehow get that verdict. Absolutely. So great. I'm a great point, Mash. I mean, this is a company that's kind of failed. Okay. Got bought out. It's really not worth that much right now. Like if you wanted to buy Dominion, it's a lot cheaper. I mean, their their main value right now is the settlement. Okay. (laughs) Other than that, they don't really have much going on for them. So this is all like an imaginary, like what could have happened if, you know, Donald Trump didn't exist or was a rational person sort of thing. And in that hypothetical world, they think they're worth that kind of money, but there's no guarantee a jury would have agreed or that it wouldn't have gotten reduced on appeal. And even if they won a trial and a jury gave them, let's say, the 1.6 and some punitive, so it was like an amazing result, that not only could have been reduced on appeal, but there would be years of appeal to get the money. In other words, they, they wouldn't get the money today. They'd get the money years from now after Fox litigated for a long time fighting them to get the money. Um, and, you know, a, a five, a do, you know, a dollar in five years is worth less than a dollar today. Um, and so, uh, for all sorts of reasons, this was an amazing result by these attorneys, uh, to achieve this for Dominion. And I think, there was a real disconnect between the expectations that people had on Twitter and elsewhere in the, in the public versus, you know, the realities of what uh, this lawsuit was. If I had gotten this result for my client, I'd be like popping champagne. Yeah. And to your point about the years of litigation, that's what's going on in the Alex Jones lawsuit, right? I mean, the, right. there was a huge settlement, I think, larger than this that was um, – handed down in that. But, you know, A, he's an individual. It's not clear that whether he's going to pay up um, because I, I suppose he could declare bankruptcy and all of that. Whereas Fox News has deep pockets and there's no question that they can pay this out um, immediately. And as you mentioned, it gives them the payout right now. Right. Just so everyone understands, often when you get a verdict in a trial, let's say the jury awards you $100 million, you often settle after that for something less than $100 million, even after you won the trial because you want to resolve the appeals, get your money right away. You don't have to go through what's a collections action. Uh, there are literally lawyers who go, and it's a big area of law where you go and you try to collect money from judgments against entities that either don't have the money or make it hard to get the money or want to litigate it out. So it's it's uh, it's a challenge that I'm sure the folks who own the own Dominion didn't want to go through. Yeah. Um, so where does this leave? So Dominion is done. They've moved on. Lawyers are very happy. They're popping their champagne. So Fox, meanwhile, back at the ranch, is they've got other lawsuits, right? Smartmatic, I think, um, maybe bringing a defamation. Or have they already filed a defamation lawsuit? Yeah, they have. And and that's the, a lot of exposure as well. It's interesting, right? They fired Tucker before any of that other, those other, that other litigation was resolved. Yeah. And I remember seeing reporting of a shareholder derivative lawsuit um, as well. And I suspect that there may be more of those. In other words, this is not the end of their legal woes. Um, you know, they're... They, my 
colleague, Jeff Sonnefeld at the School of Management, actually, um, with his colleague, Steve Tian, wrote a great explainer, which I posted on my Substack in last week, um, which I thought was good because it laid out, you know, what the what the fallout is in terms of all the corporate, you know, um, consequences that, that are going to come out of this. Um, so people shouldn't be too quick, I think, to say that uh, that this was, you know, a, a, a lose um, for uh, overall. I do think, though, that, you know, the fact, and I want to turn to Tucker in a second, but I just want to say, I think the fact that we are putting, like, we, or people have put so much of their hopes on somehow this lawsuit vindicating the interests of democracy kind of tells you where we are that, you know, we're relying on the courts and these corporate actors to kind of vindicate these interests that they're really not designed to do. That's not what this type of lawsuit is designed to do. And I think it really gets to where we are right now um, in terms of the fragility of our democracy and the breakdown of social trust that we're kind of relying on, you know, some sort of corporate defamation lawsuit to restore our democracy or something. Yeah, I, that's, a, that's a really good point, Ash. I mean, I think you're right. Part of it is just a hopelessness. People feel like there's no way to to achieve change other than that. But I do think it's definitely a misreading of the power of the justice system, right, in the in the courts to achieve change. But I, I do think there's been a real impact here. And you said there's – your colleagues did that paper. I mean, it's obvious to me – uh, this is a very significant loss for Fox. And there's going to be reverberations, I think, for a period of time. I don't think this is the last one. But I will say I didn't have this on my bingo card as the first significant reverberation, right? Tucker Carlson getting fired? I didn't see that coming. Yeah. So what do you – What the the link here is that it's not that Tucker is costing them money um, because, as we know, he actually makes them a lot of money. Um, it sounds like from reporting that he's fired because of what was revealed about his private exchanges. Um, right. And it sounds like maybe it was his disparaging the executives at the company, his, um, I don't know, you, you mentioned that he had used a lot of, you know, vulgar and derogatory language uh, about other individuals. Um, but it feels like it's got to be something really bad that we may not completely know right now. Because it was sudden, right? Like, he left on yes. Friday, signing off his show, saying, we'll see you on Monday. Mm-hmm. My understanding is that Rupert Murdoch and Suzanne Scott, Scott made the decision on Friday and that he basically got like 10 minutes notice before they actually publicly announced it. Like, in other words, they called him and then 10 minutes later they announced it, which is cold. That's cold. I have to say. Yeah, it was, that was cold. I was absolutely cold blooded. And and I think, you know, and by the way, Fox news uh, stock went down or Fox stock went down very significantly. Actually they lost more money when they fired Tucker versus the Dominion settlement, because that was baked into the price. In mm-hmm. other words, by that point, people, people assumed that they, yeah. they were going to lose some amount of money. It was just a matter of how much. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, one thing that I had seen NPR had reported that, 
you know, he used the C word basically referring to women who had appeared on the show. Um, and that there's, uh, there is a lawsuit by the f- a former producer who was actually a star witness, I think, for Dominion, right? She was somebody who was kind of like a truth teller, a uh, former Fox producer who had been on Tucker's show and on Janine Pirro's show. Um, and, you know, Fox has had a very significant problem with sexual harassment and its treatment of women who work there for some time. They've had very successful shows. There's a great movie made about one of them. Um, Bombshell? Been multi- Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. Was it the it was the one where they had was it it was Gretchen Carlson and and Megan um, Kelly? Yeah, Megan Kelly and so yeah, on. I think it's um, Bombshell on Amazon. Yeah, it was, a, it was a really it was an interesting movie, um, but you know it's worth remembering that Tucker Carlson's predecessor in that hour, Bill O'Reilly, was also the most popular name in cable news. And he lost um, that position because of his own sexual harassment uh, lawsuit. So it was a certain point where Fox decided this was enough uh, this, after settlements that he paid out. So it's a significant issue. And I think that they're they're probably worried because unlike – uh, a company where maybe there haven't been issues in the past. If you kind of continue to have issues over time, I think a jury, you know, some of that prior history might be able to come in to that trial and, and it might impact the damages. So I think that that certainly played a part as well. Well, I think that gets to, you know, is this really over? I mean, there's a question of what Tucker's going to do now, but also Fox News is just going to fill this slot with somebody else. I mean, the Bill O'Reilly precedent suggests that you know, I suspect the person who's going to fill that slot is not going to be all that different because they've tapped into a really ugly and dark um, shadow of a portion of America that really likes this, right? Obviously, there is an audience for it and there's high demand for it. Um, And so this is like a hydra. I mean, you cut off one head and another one grows back. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's I, I, I do. I love the analogy. <laughs> it's actually when you cut off one head, multiple heads multiple grow back, Multiple head right? grows back. And, it gets worse. And, um, you know, there's actually a great, another great movie, a documentary called Divide and Conquer, The True Story of Roger Ailes, which really gets into the genesis of Fox News, how it was created, the philosophy behind it. And it it is created not just as a conservative news outlet, but specifically to tap into fear and to really kind of galvanize people to, um, I mean, frankly, to create this us and them, you know, idea. I mean, he modeled the the photo angling and the ways that they um, do their news shows on Nazi propaganda, you know, like the, mm-hmm. the the cinematography of of Nazi propaganda films, um, and specific to this was they learned that sex sells, right? Like, so Roger Ailes was the first one to do the glass table, so that you could see with with I think like a higher camera angle, so you could see the women's legs um, mm. under the table, and uh, you know, and they're always wearing short skirts. I remember when I first started doing TV, I did a few hits on Fox um, and went to their studio, I think in DC and they have a very specific makeup way. Like it's like lots of gloss. I mean, it was just a, I could tell from the way they did my makeup that it was different than the other ways that they, the other studios. Yes. Um, Very, you know, 
glam. Um, they're appealing to a certain. I mean, they're they're definitely trying to go for a particular look. Um, and so I'm not. If this is a part of their model, you know, it's hard to see how anyone who replaces Tucker is really going to be able to depart meaningfully from that approach. Yeah, they're going to plug in Jesse Waters or somebody who's like a total lunatic of his own, right? Somebody who's irresponsible and says, say lunatic, but it's just somebody who's probably, who I think knows better, but it's just irresponsible and wants to get ahead and is willing to say anything. Uh, to do so, so I, you know, and I, th- I put Tucker in that category. He was sort of like one of those, uh, you know, limousine Republicans. I don't know, you know, one of those those northeastern type Republicans. Yeah, a, 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 an heir to the Swanson fortune who went to Dartmouth, but who railed against the elites. Right. Yeah, and he was. I mean, I used to watch him back when he was on CNN and MSNBC. He was just like a very moderate, milk toast kind of guy. Okay, he's like Bill Crystal or something. And nothing, nothing against Bill Crystal, but he's not a flamethrower. Neither was Tucker Carlson. But it, they changed. So I think that's what'll happen there. I think one of the interesting things, Asha, is what's going to happen with Tucker Carlson. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, one thing that is, I, I think, cl- clear to me is that he has to act quickly while he still has the attention of his audience. In other words, like a Bill O'Reilly, right? Who even thinks about that guy anymore? He was the number one name in cable news for a period of time. He had this big show and he's just off doing a podcast or whatever he does. Occasionally he makes some appearances on News Nation. Um, where, so I think, you know, Tucker Carlson has an opportunity potentially to try to, he could cut a deal with Newsmax in exchange for equity stake, own part of Newsmax, and anchor Newsmax. Him and Megyn Kelly could come in and you know have shows on Newsmax and try to get them in cable lineups, or you know some Daily Wire TV, or some some way in which he kind of reemerges um, and potentially is a counterweight to Fox, which I think would be worse because then Fox would essentially be a race to the bottom. Yeah, where Fox would be bad. You know the way they got into trouble with the Dominion. So in the Dominion era, even though they recognize the potential liability. It's because they had to com- keep their market, their audience share. Yeah. They were worse. On, they, had, they were beaten by Newsmax in a certain hour and they freaked out. And they were like, we cannot lose our audience. And if they're constantly competed out by the Tucker-owned alternative, uh, that could be a problem for them. Or Tucker could run for president. Yeah, oh, and I and I don't know what will be worse, that or or Trump. Because then right? Fox would be forced to cover it. <laughs> be funny, right? Because he suddenly is persona non grata on Fox. They barely covered his departure, uh, and and some of the the their audience are upset, right? I'm sure you've seen a lot of the same comments I have, where people are people on the right are attacking Fox and so forth. We'll, yeah. we'll see. I I would not, sir. I mean, I have been saying this for a couple of years. Um that I think he's going to run for president because the Republican base, at least, has gone off the rails. I mean, I don't think experience matters, obviously. Um, And he's really the only person who has the same level of celebrity clout that Trump does. And I don't think he'll be able to eclipse Trump. He could very well end up as his running mate. And, you know, what, like, I, you know, he has all the right, positions for that demographic. Um, he's now got the martyrdom 
from Fox News. Um, and I think the other day I saw, or not the other day, yesterday, I saw some quote from Trump where he was still praising Tucker Carlson. So the fact that Tucker Carlson had been slamming Trump, who, I mean, in his private messages, he was saying how much he hated, how much right. he hated Trump and couldn't wait for him to be gone. Um, I don't think Trump cares because he delivered on air and he gave him favorable coverage. And so, um, you know, yeah. I'm just saying he, that's a possibility and I would not discount it. Yeah, I, I don't think, I wouldn't discount it either. I mean, I think if Car- Carlson seems like a very savvy guy. I mean, people joke he got fired by all three networks, right, at this point by CNN, MSNBC, and Fox. But, you know, he's pretty savvy to have lasted as long as he is and been this successful. And so I I think he's going to recognize he's got to do something quickly and it's going to be something dramatic. Either, like I said, either he's going to create, you know, essentially take ownership of another network and become um, a mouthpiece. Or like you said, he could try to force his way into Trump's ticket or try to run. Yeah, nothing would surprise me at this point. Hi, I'm Moji Alawodeyal from the Feminist Buzzkills Live Pod, the only podcast that helps you navigate the news in this post-pro anti-abortion hellscape. Each week with co-hosts Marie Khan and Liz Winstead, we dissect all the news from that sketchy intersection of abortion and misogyny with providers and activists working on the ground. The cherry on top is we have amazing comedy guests who help us laugh through the rage. Feminist Buzzkills Live drops Fridays wherever you pod. Listen and subscribe, because when BS is popping, we pop off. So, Asha, uh, we have talked about a lot of legal issues, a lot of legal cases, and it really says something that we have a case going to trial this week against Trump involving allegations that he he raped uh, a, I think a well-known uh, woman, I would say, somebody who was, uh, you know, not just somebody, you know, who was obscure, actually a very well-known, um, a prominent woman. And that, that we didn't even, it didn't even make it on our podcast until today. Uh, it's really something. So that case um, is uh, going into jury selection today. So um, let's just give a little brief background on how we got to this point. So E. Jean Carroll wrote a memoir in 2019, and in it, she detailed an event where she claimed that Trump raped her in the dressing room of Bergdorf, of Bergdorf Goodman. Um, when that came out, and Trump was questioned about it, he said, and this is when he was president, he said that it was all false because she was not his type. So she filed a defamation lawsuit against Trump, saying, basically, he was calling her a liar. I assume that that was sort of the the crux of it. Um, In that case, the Department of Justice said that they would be the ones who would be defending Trump in that defamation lawsuit um, because he made the statement while as president. And I think we can go into the policy reasons for that because they have not changed that position since Trump left office. Um, And that, I think, is in litigation, right? Yeah, and specifically, I should just put a finer point on it. It's that he made the, the those comments in the course of his official duties, which I think threw a lot of people for a loop, right? Yes, because I think he said it at a press conference. Um, and so 
that that lawsuit, I think, is still pending, but in litigation, it hasn't gone to trial. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, uh, E. Jean Carroll filed another lawsuit in November of last year under a New York statute. I think it's called the New York Survivors Act, Mm -hmm. which allows victims of sexual assault to bring civil claims that are otherwise outside of the statute of limitations. I assume otherwise outside the criminal statute of limitations is what I'm understanding. Right. Um, So she filed that lawsuit. Um, Obviously, the event that is the basis of that lawsuit predates Trump's being president. So the Department of Justice has nothing to do with that. Um, And that case has progressed pretty quickly and is now about to go to trial. And so this is, I guess, this is for damages for that he raped her and emotional distress and all of the, um, you know, physical and and emotional and mental damages that, that, that came from what she's alleging against Trump. Yeah, which is significant. I had done a hand to handle the sexual assault case in New York. It's a very, it's a, it's very challenging, but the damages are quite significant, right? It's a, a violent crime. Um, mm-hmm. I thought that the defamation case was consolidated with this case, and that it was a joint trial. But I could be, uh, I could be wrong about that. According to NPR, that oh, okay, was I'll not trust NPR. But, but I trust NPR. Unlike Elon Musk, <laughs> I trust NPR. I think they're great. Okay. So, all right. So we've got this trial starting and there's been a lot of hubbub about this trial. Um, a lot of motions and back and forth. Like I said, we, you know, the only reason that I think we haven't been focused on it is because Trump got indicted and a lot of other things have occurred um, recently. But this is, I think, a very significant case. I think one thing I would just say is it's, it's interesting that it is not resolved itself. This is another case, you know, I said about the Dominion case. You mean with a settlement? Yeah, that's right. That's what I mean, settlement. Um, You know, I said about the Dominion case, I would have settled it if I was Fox's lawyers. I think Fox, based on the public reporting, was getting very bad advice from its general counsel regarding that case. Um, But I think here, it's just another one where Trump, uh, his own stubbornness may hurt him because this is a case where usually – even if you win, you lose. It's just, it's, it's going to be brutal because there's going to be a lot of very embarrassing and difficult details are going to come out about Donald Trump in this lawsuit. Including um, testimony from other women who claim that he assaulted them. Yes, which is usually not admissible. Um, you can't typically say, for example, this person... Um, you know, uh, tried to shoot me and I'm going to show all these other times where he attempted to murder other people and bring that in. It's actually what's called prior bad act. You're trying to show the propensity of somebody to do something they, they you have to have the evidence stand and fall in that case. But in this, it's a particular exception to that um, in this type of, in this type of case. And how does that exception work? So to, to, to quickly say, like, I think the big takeaway from evidence <laughs> uh, with Dan Kahan. I don't know if you took evidence with Professor Kahan. Uh, I did not, but I took I took evidence with another law yeah. law problem. Is th- that the and people because people I'm I'm saying this because people might be saying, well, obviously, wouldn't the jury want to know if somebody had tried to shoot a million people before sure. or, or had done this before? But you know, you're always weighing 
the probative value of the evidence against the prejudicial effect that it could have. So you're kind of balancing these two interests. And I think with the prior bad acts, the reason that it is generally excluded is because the prejudicial value, the idea that someone might, that a jury could be swayed because of past conduct as opposed to deciding the conduct that's in front of them would outweigh what those, what that evidence could, could actually show. Right. So it typically, um, typically you, you, if Asha is stating the rule exactly right. So you, you generally, there's a very, lim- there's limited uh, ability to show prior bad acts. And it's, it's something under rule 404, 404B under the federal rules of evidence, for example, in federal court. And you have to, re- you basically show the, um, um, you have to show that they're, you're using it for another purpose. I'm not, I'm not trying to show that this person raped people in the past. They're trying to show that they, you know, there's an MO, you know, they, they'd always leave us, uh, a, a playing card afterwards. There's signature, you know, some, something, you know, there's some, or that it shows their intent in some way. You have to try to find the way around that in this type of, but there have been a relaxation and I don't know, I will say I'm not an, an expert in New York rules of evidence. Um, but, um, and this is in federal, and this, I will say this is in federal court, but there have been, there are changes and it's in which there's a relaxing of these rules, um, in the context of sexual assault. So that it is a big deal that the jury is going to be able to hear about a pattern of behavior in the same way that I'll draw an analogy. There was two trials of Bill Cosby. If you recall in the first trial, it was a hung jury. And it was partly because the judge ruled and the judge was trying to weigh the probative nature of that testimony versus its prejudicial value and decided to exclude most of the um, women who had been victimized, um, who were going to testify, who wanted to testify against Cosby. And in the subsequent trial, the judge allowed many more of them to testify and it was a very different result. And, and I think here, um, the fact that Judge Kaplan is allowing some additional testimony is very, very important. And just to link this to a broader context, th- this type of issue came up in the Chauvin case too, right? Because he had all these prior disciplinary instances and only some of them could come in. So that would have been under like a, it, it's a similar prior bad act issue. That's right. It, it comes up in many criminal cases. So I will just say I've, I've tried a lot of criminal cases. Um, and often it would be very frustrating when you're on the prosecutor side of it, which I was for a long time, because the person had been like, for example, had had a long string of drug convictions, but yet their their defense is like, I just happened to be at the Burger King where the drug deal went down. Like I just was getting a burger and it's like, come on, like you have like 14 prior felony drug convictions. Of course you weren't just, didn't happen to be on the scene of a drug deal, but all that gets excluded. And so you're trying to, you know, show logic to the jury of why he's there. And like, yeah, it's, if they heard about the prior convictions, it would be a trivial to, to, to get a conviction in that case. So it comes up a lot in criminal cases, but it's become more of a thing um, in these type of in in cases of this type, so is it more relaxed because it's a civil case? Um, yes, that is true, and I and I you know, but I will say that there is a um, uh, a sig if, if in under New York State law, if you have a sig a pattern of behavior in, a, in uh-huh. sexual cases, 
you they can come in and this this was in the Harvey Weinstein case it was very important mm. under New York mm-hmm. law so i'm not an expert in air color i'm not i'm not a, bar, a member of the New York bar but I, I, states there there's a patchwork of different rules that states have adopted to try to you know and, and some of them are some of them are statutory some of them are judge judge created they've tried to loosen relax it in these type of cases because there's an understanding that you know, it can be challenging in a he said, she said situation where you've been sexually assaulted to, um, to, uh, to prove your, to prove your case. And so, you know, here, I think this will be very significant, just like it was for Cosby, Weinstein, other important cases. I'm not, I'm not necessarily comparing Trump to those cases. I don't, I'm not going to prejudge the evidence or, or whatever, but. Um, the the same type of legal issues come up. Yeah. And just to be clear, this is not the only evidence that Eugene Carroll plans to present. I think there's also going to be testimony from uh, people who worked at Bergdorf Goodman at the time, some friends that she told not not soon after or not, not too long after. Um, and the testimony that, so this is, but the testimony of the prior um allegation, uh, the prior victim, Trump recently, there was just a ruling, I think, where Trump tried to get that excluded well after I think the judge had already ruled on it. Like it was a late appeal of some kind. Um, And I think the second time he was trying to get this excluded and he got shot down. Yeah, definitely some very shoddy lawyering. This is uh, Takopina and uh, Lena Haba. He doesn't have his it, even his A team. Okay, on this, I mean, it's a you know he's got better a better lawyer, for example, in the Manhattan DA case. But um, yeah, some very big mistakes. I mean, another mistake that they made was, I mean, um, uh, Eugene Carroll's uh, attorneys, who are very fine attorneys, Roberta Kaplan and so on. Um, who uh, they had tried? They had wanted to get Trump's DNA to try to see if there was trace amounts of it on her, her person, and I, or on her, excuse me, uh, on an outfit that she um, she claims that she wore that day, and you know that's the sort of thing that defense probably should have just went with and because it seemed like a shot in the dark to me that she's not saying that like she's not like Monica Lewinsky saying here's the stain and I know this was the DNA of the person I had. She's just saying I, let's uh, see if there's something there. Yeah, this is just like, let's just give it a try. And like, it's also not a dispute that he had some, he had interacted with her. It's not like the mere fact that he had interacted with her would prove that he had raped her. And so that, I just thought it was a bizarre, but so after fighting it and opposing it and actually winning on the issue, suddenly the, the Trump team, a light bulb went off. They're like, oh, this is actually going to look bad if he ever had it, wanted to take the stand or, you know, they'll make light of the fact potentially that we don't know because, you know, Trump, you know, Trump could have provided this and he didn't, that sort of argument. And so then they're like, okay, now we want to provide DNA. And they did that like once again, late in the game. And the judge is like, no, it's <laughs> that ship has sailed. sailed. Yeah. And I read that Taco Pina says that Trump is going to testify. What? I mean, ordinarily you would say yes. I mean, ordinarily he would testify. You would ordinarily put the client on in this situation because it's the client's word versus her word. And if the client doesn't testify, the jury is going to presume there's a good reason why. So you ordinarily would put the client on. Obviously with Trump, super problematic. It didn't sound because like- Because he's been deposed. I mean, once he gets up there, if he starts departing from right. what he said before, he'll look like an idiot. 
Yes, that's a problem. That's how, yes, that's an issue with depositions. And I, it didn't sound like it went particularly well for him based on public reporting on about that deposition. Uh, I think another issue, I mean, there was this whole fight about whether he'd have to appear at the trial. He doesn't have to appear at the trial, but Taco Pina's like, well, he doesn't really, he's not really planning to appear, but he might appear. But we want the jury to be instructed that like, hey, he's saving everyone a lot of effort and the Secret Service a lot of effort by not being here to basically uh, essentially undercut the fact like Trump doesn't want to sit there for weeks and be subjected to hearing. But he doesn't want any adverse inference to be drawn from the fact that he's not there. Right. And it's interesting. I mean, the judge could have gone either way on that. That's one of those judgment calls I think a judge could make where a judge could say, oh, I, you know, I'm not going to say any of this stuff with the Secret Service that you want me to say, but I'll say that you shouldn't infer anything. Or, but the judge refused to do that. You know, he could be here or not be here. Uh, it's up to him, but we could protect him here in the federal courthouse. Um, and so that was another interesting and bizarre call. I will tell you, if if I was, you know, d- defending that case, of course you'd want your client there, sitting there mm-hmm. the entire time reacting to everything, showing the jury he cared and he took this seriously. I think if he doesn't show up, uh, it suggests to the jury he's not taking it seriously. And that's a very significant uh, problem. Um, one, one other thing, by the way, that came up, Asha, to get to an evidentiary point, is uh, E. Jean Carroll's team, I think, wisely pointed out that it looked like um, the Trump team had designated portions of his testimony in which he was essentially attacking her own history, sexual history, um, mm-hmm. as a way of trying to tarnish her character. And there are actually very specific rules in the Federal Rules of Evidence to prevent that from happening oh, in these yeah. kind of cases. Very important victory because, of course, that you had been a tactic that had been used for a long time where if a woman was victimized, they, she essentially get re-victimized by having her entire life uh, put on, uh, she'd be standing judgment, right, from from being on the stand. Yeah, and as from what I understand, the judge also admonished Trump's lawyers to tread very carefully and to not try to sneak that kind of stuff in. Exactly, and I and I think that's something just uh, for for the folks at home. Uh, that's it's a very important trial tactic where you kind of put a marker, I call it putting a marker down. And you're like, look, you know, I, I'm, I'm drawing a line here and I'm saying this, I, this better not happen. I'm putting everyone on notice. Like I see what's going on here and I'm not going to let it happen anymore. It's a very big, that's a big, it's a, uh, a big boy move, whatever you want to, whatever, how you want to do it. It's like a sort of power <laughs> move that you make in a trial. And that's exactly, I think her legal team uh, made the right move there. So Asha, we've been hearing, uh, we've been all over the place uh, talking about things recently. What have you been up to? What's going on with you? Well, I got back from a trip to Virginia last week where it was 80 degrees and beautiful. And I have to say, whenever I go into Southeastern Virginia, it's like my happy place because mainly, I mean, the weather is just so nice and it's pretty. And I was mainly in the Williamsburg area. Um, Oh, Nice. Doing the college visit, so William and Mary. I went Ooh. to Charlottesville, but we also stopped at. I decided to give my son a little bit of Virginia history, so we stopped at Monticello and we went to Mount Vernon. These, by the way, I feel like everybody you know has their own. Depending on where they grew up, their 
you know, stock field trips, right? And I was really fortunate because <laughs> where I grew up, like our stock field trips were Jamestown and Williamsburg and Monticello and Mount mm-hmm. Vernon. Um, so, you know, we would go to those just all the time um, growing up. And what I, you know, what was really interesting is that both of those sites now have really integrated um the history of slavery and I think really done a good job of telling the story of enslaved people and, you know, how they fit into the complicated past um, of those individuals. So um, it was really interesting. By the way, in case Jim Jordan's listening, um, <laughs> wanted, the, the Thomas Jefferson Foundation makes a note that they receive no state or federal funds. So... <laughs> I love it. I love it. So he can't, you know, bring in the descendants of Sally mm-hmm. Emings to try to grill them. Exactly. The what about record. you? What? And, and by the way, I, I was sad to come back because it is really cold. It is almost May, and I'm wearing a tur- I'm wearing a cashmere turtleneck, and the other day in my office because Yale has already turned the heat off. I don't know why they do this every April, even though they know that it's not going to get warm until probably like mid to late May. I was like literally wearing my jacket and gloves in my office. Wow. Yeah. I, I actually yeah. makes me feel good because I'm in Chicago and it's freezing here. And I assume just because I made the uh, fateful choice to live in the Chicago area as opposed to somewhere else. So I'm glad everyone's cold. It makes, it f- makes you feel better when everyone's suffering, uh, not just you. I'm sure the people in like Southern California and Arizona aren't, but for 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 and the rest Southern of the country, uh, we're we're cold. Uh, I've been good. I I actually was in New York last week and saw a lot of people that some of our listeners will know. I was I I actually had, had dinner with Ari Melber and um, Andrew oh, Weissman and Dan Alonzo and many others, Joyce Vance and others. When I was out there, uh, I'll be in D.C. this week for a conference. So I've been doing a lot of traveling. I went to a, a girls lacrosse uh, game with my stepdaughter played in yesterday. So that was interesting experience to see. Um, very, it's a pretty violent game, even though they're not. They don't supposedly have physical contact. Uh, there's a. It's very, uh, very uh, brutal, uh, brutal game. But actually, uh, was very fun to watch. So I've been I've been doing well and. Uh, and so is uh, Henry. Henry is uh, the star, and I think the kind of de facto mascot of the girls across team. He's uh, oh, that's awesome. Yes. And I'm trying to say, I think if you can see, Pancake is asleep <laughs> on the chair behind me. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, H- Henry would be in the background, but he's very busy. So he's 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 you know he's got work to he's do. He's got a lot going on. MSW Media. Hi, I'm Frances Callier. And I'm Angela V. Shelton. And we're Frangela. You know what you need in your life? Hmm. The Final Word Podcast. Yes, you do. That's right. It is the final word on all things political and pop cultural. Where we make real news real funny. Where we inspire you so you can hashtag resist. Subscribe and get a new episode of The Final Word Podcast each week. It's the news we think you need to hear. That's right. We think you need to hear it. Okay. 
Yeah, it's what we say so. That's right. And because all we do is give, every Thursday you can listen to our hysterical podcast, Idiot of the Week. We round up the stupid because you know what? Somebody has to. Okay. All we do is give. Give.